0: All right, you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Micah chapter 7, please. Micah chapter 7, we'll look at the entire chapter, 20 verses. And the message is entitled, God Cannot Ignore Sin. God has just finished calling the people of Judah and Jerusalem into his divine courtroom, charging them with their sin and pronouncing the verdict of guilty. Now, you get away with a lot of things here on earth, so that people think, but no one gets away with anything. God knows and sees everything. This is the third and last message that began in chapter 6, verse 1, by the word here, and it covers the two chapters. Um, What we have before us now is the controversy of God with his people over sin, and it's revealed in three ways. Let me read our passage here. Chapter seven, verse one to twenty. He says, "Woe is me, for I am like those who gather summer fruits, like those who glean vintage grapes. There is no cluster to eat of the fruit ripe, uh, of the first ripe fruit which uh, my soul desires. The faithful man has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood; every one hunts his brother with a net. They that." Uh, that they may successfully do evil with both hands. The prince asks for gifts. The judge seeks a bride. And the great man alters, utters his evil desire. So they scheme together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen and your punishment comes. Now shall be the perplexity. Do not trust in a friend. Do not Put your confidence in a companion. Guard the door of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. The son dishonors father. Daughter rises against her mother. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fail, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be at a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he please my case and execute justice for me. He will bring me forth to the light. I will see his righteousness. Then she who is my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mud in the streets. In that day, in the day when your walls are to be built, in that day the decree shall go far and wide. In that day they shall come to you from Assyria and fortify cities, from the fortress of the rivers, from sea to sea, and mountains to mountain. Yet the land shall be desolate because those who dwell in it, and for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your heritage who dwell solitarily in the woodland. In the midst of Carmel, let them feed and bash him in Basham and Gilead as you, in the days of old. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them wonders. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall put their hand over their mouth, their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, they shall crawl from their holes like snakes of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of you. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. The controversy of God with his people over sin is revealed in three ways. First, we have the painful lamentation of Micah, verse 1 through 6. Secondly, the faithful petition of Micah, verse 7 through 13. And then the prayerful intercession of Micah, In verse 14 through 20, the painful lamentation of Micah comes first, verse 1 through 6. Notice in verse 1 and 2, the prophet lamented for the lack of faithful people due to sin. Sin always kills. It kills your relationship with God and other people. Sin destroys utterly. Unchecked. The word woe, as we've spoken many times, is an expression of grief, desperation due to the horrible condition and situation of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom right now. It it, it grieves the prophet. The word also can be used for judgment to come. It's used that way in chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds at morning light. They practice it because it is in the power of their hands. Also, the word burden through Isaiah, Jeremiah, the burden means the judgment, the burden of the Lord. So these expressions, uh, uh, the context will dictate exactly which one it means. Now, notice um, in verse 1 that Micah provided the reason for his woe. For I am like those who gather summer fruit, like those who glean vintage grapes. The figure of speech is called a simile, a comparison of two things to one another. The simile is introduced always by one of two words. Like or as. Someone says he ran fast as lightning. It doesn't mean that he's lightning. You're simply communicating that he is really fast. Okay. So there's a comparison so you can understand. Taking something you know and putting it next to the other one. Now it is different from a metaphor or a parable. Okay. It's different. So this is just a very brief analogy. Now. The illustration, notice, is agricultural. The gathering of summer fruits, uh, gleaning of the vintage, and this is a picture of the Old Testament as they would harvest their fields and leave the corners for the poor so they could come by and pick for themselves and feed themselves. That's a great welfare program. No laziness. The government doesn't send you a check. You have to go out. People are compassionate. They leave enough for you, and it's taken care of. But you go glean it. This is what he's talking about. Now Micah said, I am like those who gather summer fruit, like those who glean vintage grapes. The problem follows. There is no cluster to eat of the first ripe fruit which my soul desires. The point being that there was nothing left on the vine to partake to satisfy his longing passion here we'll see the application is to people of like mind, godly people, faithful people. There's nothing. Verse 2 and 3, Micah makes the clear application by the comparison of the simile of the summer gathering and gleaning um, to the absence of godly people. The faithful and upright individuals are not found in the nation. Listen, the faithful man has perished from the earth and there is no one upright among men. Now remember, Jeremiah, God said there's none. And Jeremiah, oh, there's got to be something." And Jeremiah went look around. Didn't find one. Didn't believe God. The word perish there means to vanish or go astray, to be destroyed. This is what sin does. It destroys the best of relationships. It destroys the best of marriages. It destroys the best of everything. That's just the way sin does. And we live in a fallen world. That's why we should see our desperate condition to cling to God and to walk with God. He's our only hope. Notice, they're all treacherous. They all lie in wait for blood. All are inhumane, violent. Every man hunts his brother with a net. There, verse 2. Either to sell him or to rob him. It's not told what. All are committed to their goal of evil. That they may successfully do evil with both hands, the first part of 3 says. The word that indicates the purpose and the goal. The fervency of their commitment is indicated by both hands. fervent with all their energy. They want to reach that goal of evil. Notice verse 3 through 6. The prophet revealed the corruption of the entire society resulting... From sin. Now psychologists, sociologists will tell, well, you know, you just made a mistake. You just, you know, whatever it is. But the Bible says it's sin. This is what throws everything off. Sin. So whenever you're looking at a problem and you're thinking that it's not sin, you're wrong. It's always sin. Notice Micah declared the leaders were self-seeking, abusing their position and authority. And this is a running theme through the minor prophets as well as the major prophets. The leaders sell their favor. The prince asks for gifts. If you want me to help you? It depends how much money you give me. Put the palm out. If it's little money, it's a little help, right? The magistrates expect compensation for their judgment. The judges seek a bribe. So justice becomes corrupted. The influential and wealthy demand their evil not be denied. And the great man utters his evil desire because they have position and power and wealth. They can say and do and nobody says anything. They cater to him. They turn a blind eye. Notice towards the end of three, Micah declared these men work in concert with each other. So they, be, they scheme together. And the word scheme literally means to weave together. So in other words, the indication is clear. They work with each other to help the other to accomplish and apprehend the evil goals or desires. And so I help you today, and then next month I need some help from you. And we're just in it, you know. We're just kicking it and enjoying it and getting wealthy and more corrupt. And we subdue the people. and we, All this kind of stuff. Nothing new under the sun, as Solomon said. Notice verse 4. Micah declared these individuals were worthless people. Headed for judgment. Now they're having a great time. You remember being in the world of sin? Some of us just got home right now. Man, that we have a great time? No, we were headed for judgment. We were blind. Man, that's living. No, that we worked to dying. Micah declared two more similes here. Reveals the people with no character. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hitch. In other words, they bring hurt and destruction to others. Briar, sharper than thorn. Only good for what? Firewood. Judgment. It's a simile. Notice Micah revealed their judgment was near. The day of your watchman and your punishment comes. Ezekiel gives us this severe warning of a watchman, Ezekiel three eighteen thirty three, For he pleased and God says, I take no pleasure to the death of the wicked. Turn, turn and live. Why would you not turn and die? Why? So the watchman has a responsibility to proclaim the warning of the danger that's coming or the danger people are in without knowing it. He sits at the watchtower in the city and he looks for the enemy. And he's supposed to sound the alarm. And so Ezekiel, God says, I will hold you guilty of the blood of all people if you don't warn. People say, man, thank God that's Old Testament. Really? Paul the apostle told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, "I'm, I'm, I'm not guilty of the blood of any man. I am innocent of the blood of all men. He's quoting Ezekiel. He warned the full counsel of God. God help the pastors of this nation and the world who do not proclaim the warning of what's going on in the world and where we're headed. There will be greater judgment for them. God will hold them responsible as watchmen. Notice they reveal they were in great danger. Now they shall be, now shall be their perplexity, but they don't know it. They think they're okay. Remember, Isaiah picks up, Isaiah is a contemporary of Micah. In and, and chapter 5, the vine, you know, God says, look, I, I, I took this vine, I you, Israel, I hedged it, I watered it, I fertilized it, man, did all I could. And then I was expecting some nice, juicy grapes and, whoa, wild grapes. Listen to the words of God. What more could I have done? It wasn't God's fault. Now, when we say it wasn't my fault, it usually is. When God says it's not my fault, it's not his fault. That means man is responsible, free will, free choices. That's both Old Testament and New. Okay? And who is he talking to in the Old Testament and the vine? His people. Who is he talking to in the New Testament? His people. Simple. Notice verse 5 and 6. Micah declared, The closest of friends and family cannot be trusted. This is a crazy society. We can see the parallel in our nation. Those who know for a long time, do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. They can't be trusted. The word trust simply means to look to someone to be loyal or faithful. Someone you can lean on. The word confidence means to feel secure looking to someone to be dependable. They're complimenting each other. He says, don't do that. This is the time that you can't... You can't trust them. Then he moves on to the wife. The wife they were married to couldn't be trusted. Horrible. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. The expression to guard the door of your mouth indicates the careful and thoughtful um, process of what you're going to say to your wife. Betrayal. Jesus speaks about the betrayal of son and daughter, mother, father, all of that. Jesus came to divide because they, you make a decision for Christ. In Nazi Germany, some of the Hitler's uh, youth movement, of SS, they turn in their parents. Okay, today the schools uh, indoctrinate children to turn in their parents. Okay, call the police on them. No different. Jesus warned the last days this would happen during the Great Tribulation. It will happen. Notice the tremendous deed is indicated by the picture of the most intimate privilege. She who lies in your bosom. The one that's so close to you. The one that you just have committed your life to and she can't be trusted. And there's the treachery that she's so close that she would turn on you. Or a husband. Hmm. Look at 6. Their closest family members also could not be trusted. Children born to them. For sons, dishonor father, daughters rise against her mother. Those married to their children, daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. You see, the natural love for family had been replaced by self-love. Listen to the words there in verse 6 at the end. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. It was all self-serving now. The 70s gave the rise to self esteem through the public school education. And then you had the Christian community through Dr. Dobson bringing that self esteem, and it destroyed us in the church. Now they demand it. Now the society's destroyed. Everybody's so full of self esteem that they won't take no for an answer. The Bible says no man ever yet hated himself. It's ridiculous. By the way, Jesus quotes these verses in Matthew ten thirty four 36 and Luke twelve fifty one through 53. Because in the early church, Christians were called homewreckers because they came to Christ and they were loyal to Christ rather than their families. And that has happened every generation. Some of you came to Christ and your parents says, oh, you changed your religion, huh? Oh, you're a hallelujah now, huh? There's a there's a severe divide at times, even in close families. Because it's treacherous regarding their point of view that you've come to Christ, that they raised you and they've taught you this or whatever, and all of a sudden you're sharing with them that they're wrong? Whoa, Jackson. Those are fighting words. Painful. Nothing illustrates this painful lamentation of the prophet like that of a father or a mother who is just lamenting a wayward son or daughter. It's treacherous because you want the best for them and you know the destruction they bring upon themselves because you've been around the block a couple of times, a couple of times on your face, a couple of times on your back, and you know the consequences. When Jesus said they don't, they don't know what they're doing from the cross, he did not mean they didn't know they were nailing his, his hands to the wood. He is saying they don't know the ramifications in the, 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 uh, down the road, how it's going to affect them. And as a parent, we know this of our children. They, they, they think they've got it wired. But sin destroys. And sometimes it's irreparable. Though we can be forgiven, what is lost is irreparable. How painful it is to see the evil of our day on every level of our nation and society. Uh, This does not mean that every single person, but that the number is so sufficient that it has affected the whole of society. And you would have to be blind to deny that aspect of it. We see the lack of morality from those in the highest office of the land, even as ex-president Bill Clinton was well known for being a womanizer And then impeached for perjury, lying under oath in 1999. That devastated our nation. It brought it to a new low. We've never risen above it. In fact, we've gotten lower now. We have seen senators, congressmen, mayors, officials all take bribes, abuse their position or anything. There was always one or two. Now it's the rule. Uh, Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. If you're a parent, if you don't correct your son or daughter, they're going to do it again and they're going to do worse. Discipline. Consequences. Simple. What painful difficulties have been brought on the American family in our society. Through the woman leaving the home and entering the workforce, it started after World War II in small numbers, but then it progressed the 70s. It hit all-time high. It was then that um, the double income kicked in. I bought my first house for a 22,500, 1,200-square-foot house, double garage, walls, everything in Covina. My parents bought the same floor plan house 12 years earlier, they bought it for 15000 so they only appraised 7000 7500 in those 12 years. Well, in three years, it doubled on me because all of a sudden the double income kicked in on this nation, and this nation was not going to let women stay home anymore. They demanded this double income. Women hold society together, not men. You must get the woman out of the home to destroy society. Simple as it is. Can't get any simpler than that. Through the removal of parental authority and control for their own children by the educators and social services, they're the authorities now. There's even more severe bills on the floor to pass against us and our children. Through the immorality and permissive society of the 60s to the progressive political correctness of an amoral society of the 2016s now, we have come so low, so far and so low. More women are leaving their husbands now than wives leaving their husbands. The new trend. More wives are committing adultery against their husbands than ever before. Husbands and wives leave the children, leave their wife, leave their spouse. No big deal. One of the chief sins of the last days is uh, only mentioned two times in Romans 1:30 and 2 Timothy 3:3. 3 3. One word: unloving. It used to be translated nat- unnatural affection, Astorge, No family love. Simple. What do we just talk about? Can't trust your wife. Can't trust your son-in-law. Whatever. We're here, ladies and gentlemen. We see the breakdown of society. So the painful lamentation of Micah is understandable. Notice next comes the faithful petition of Micah, 7 through 13. In 7 through 10, the prayer of faith by the prophet comes first. The conclusion of Micah now was to trust God alone. So he's he's bummed out. Now So he gets his eyes on the Lord. Therefore, I will look to the Lord Yahweh. Having his eyes on the wicked people was discouraging. Having his eyes waiting for the wicked people to change was was not going to happen. Too far gone. The commitment of Micah, notice in verse 7, was to rest in God. I will wait for the God of my salvation. God was judging his people. God was in control of all things, even though God's in control. He's not biting his nails. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. When you are going through things and things are happening in our nation and the world, you better have your eyes on the Lord, not on the situation, not on the Congress, not on this election, not on anything but the Lord Jesus Christ. Because everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken, and only what can stand will remain. Absolutely. The confidence of Michael was that he was with God, his God. Listen, with my God will hear me. That confidence that he was one with God. Micah was the prophet of God. Sent to proclaim judgment. And Micah was listening to see what God would reveal to him. He didn't just make stuff up. He's waiting on the Lord. Notice in verse 8. The hope of Micah is the coming chastening. Was in God's faithfulness. His hope is in spite of the chastening that's coming. He reproved the nation that would take them into captivity, for God would deliver them. Listen to his words in verse 8. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. Now he addresses the enemy. When I fall, I will arise. That is a, a statement of faith. Nothing in the world that he sees give evidence to this. He declared God would direct and guide him in captivity. When I sit in darkness, the Lord Yahweh will be light to me. The humble submission of Micah to the disciplinary judgment of God on them was acknowledged. Look at verse 9. He confessed he deserved to be judged. This is Micah speaking. I will bear the indignation of the Lord. He confessed he was guilty of sin also because I have sinned against him. You ever read Daniel? We have sinned. The problem is we say, well, but Lord, those guys, you better put we. Okay? You better include yourself. There is no person or nation that can be brash enough to sin and think that they will not be judged by God. That's why Jesus is returning to judge the world. Look, at still nine. The trust of Micah was in God for the duration of the captivity to be trustworthy for his protection. Due to the confession and repenting from sin. Listen to his words. Until he pleads my case and execute justice for me. When there's acknowledgement, where there's confession, then God can deal with it. The only way. No other way. Resulting in sweet fellowship, he will bring me forth to the light. Acknowledging his holy justice, I will see his righteousness. Not his own. God's. When God forgives me, when God deals with me, that's his righteousness. Not my own. Look at 10. The revelation of Micah to his captive enemy was their future judgment. They would be humbled and destroyed in their pride. Then she who is my enemy, and the word she is in italics, meaning it's not in there, it's just put there, Um, but it's whatever enemy, that was Assyria, then Babylon, and so on and so forth, and then the end times of tribulation. My enemies will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord Yahweh your God? People tell you as you confess your faith in God and something goes wrong with your marriage or your child or whatever. And they say, where's your God now? Whoa. He's in heaven. He's ruling the world. (laughs) He's looking out for me. He's in control of my life. They would witness this. My eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mud in the streets. So the prophet, as we've seen, he deals with his contemporary situation. And then we're going to see he's going to move forward to the future of the great tribulation and millennial. Here the enemy is Assyria, going to take the northern kingdom, 722. Then Babylon is going to take Judah. The final one in in, uh, 586. So you have Assyria, Babylon, and then the nations of the world at the end for the remnant of Israel. God's in control. God is faithful to his people. Look at verse 11 through 13. The prayer of faith by the prophet was answered. If you're praying and you're confessing, then God's going to answer you. The answer dealt with the restoration at the kingdom age. So now he goes from the contemporary situation, he goes forward. The phrase, in that day, is a common phrase, and it speaks about the time of great tribulation and the millennial also. The context will tell you that. Um, it's stated twice here, two times for emphasis. The phrase is synonymous with the latter days of the great tribulation millennial that we saw in Micah one. The walls will be built, he says, speaking of the protection of the remnant of God and the decree to the whole world. This is the context, the remnant, the last days. He goes forward. The Gentiles will be blessed through the Jewish remnant. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, those that bless you all will bless. And so on and so forth. You have Amos 9, 11, and 12. You have Romans 9, 30. You have Galatians 3, 5 through 9 and many other passages. God is not through with Israel. Do not believe replacement theology. It's absolutely unbiblical. There's a difference between the nation of Israel that's looking for a future kingdom. It's an earthly kingdom. We are looking for a spiritual kingdom. Okay? A heavenly kingdom. One's a wife put away by divorce. The other one's a bride looking for a wedding. I hope you know the difference. Notice the entire earth will come to Jerusalem. Now, a lot of people don't like this kind of stuff from the pulpit. Tough. Look at verse 12. For the third time in that day. Still talking about Great tribulation of the millennial. They shall come to you from Assyria, fortified cities from the fortress of the river, meaning Egypt, from sea to sea and mountain to mountain. The implication is from the whole earth. We saw that already in one message. The whole earth. Jerusalem will be the capital of the world. Jerusalem will be the center of worship of the world. Jerusalem will be the center of government for the world. Jerusalem will be the center of blessing for all the world. And God's not asking your permission. It's just the way it's going to be. The entire earth, look at verse 13. At this point has been utterly defeated by the second coming of Jesus. That's the context. The earth is judged due to the wicked people. Yet the land shall be desolate because of those who dwell in it. As he comes back, the battle of Armageddon. The earth is judged for the evil committed and for the fruit of their deeds. God rejecting world. No person, no nation... The world cannot reject God, deny God, and think that he's not going to judge. It's insanity. You know, just as clouds are no guarantee of rain unless the right conditions are present, so prayer, apart from the biblical conditions, prayer is merely presumptuous and empty words. I must acknowledge my sin, confess my sin, repent from my sin, then God will hear me. Then prayer can be effective. Simple. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, if God's hands is not short, they cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that cannot hear, but your sins have separated you from God, and he turns his back on us. Psalm 66:18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. Are we, are we clear on that? Sin is an obstacle. Your son, your daughter is in bad relationship with you. They've done something. You're not happy. You're not talking. You're looking for acknowledgement. You're looking for repentance. You're looking for a broken, hum- uh, humble heart. Then everything's going to be okay. Smile's going to come back. Hugs going to come back. Blessings going to come back, right? Simple. How important it is to keep our eyes on the Lord and not people, for the best of people will fail at one time or another and even fail us personally. Your pastor falls. He didn't die for you. You go on. Elder falls, you don't walk away from God. He didn't die for you. Your wife or husband fail you. You don't walk away from God. They didn't die for you. Jesus died for you. He's your savior. Abraham lied about Sarah being his sister, remember, to Abimelech, king of Gerar, and endangered her being defiled. And God intervened in Genesis 20, verse 1 through 5. and He told the king of Gerar, he says, you touch her, you're a dead man. (laughs) Moses misrepresented God in Numbers 20, verse 7 through 13, as the people were thirsty in the wilderness, and and, and they were asking for water. And, and Moses uh, went to God, and God says, go ahead, go out there and speak to the rock and give the people water. And Moses went out and said, what must I do, you rebellious people, stiff-necked? Must I strike this rock? And he hits the rock, and the people got their water. But God said, hey, Mo, come here. What did I tell you? Well, you know, you let the people believe that I was mad at them. I wasn't mad at them. You were mad at them. Not only that, I told you to speak to the rock. That rock was Jesus Christ, for New Testament says. And he struck the rock twice. Jesus has only struck once for our sins. He says, you're not going to go into the promised land. Wow. meekest man on the earth. When we do fail and we bring things on ourselves, we must own up to the failures. First to God and the consequences. Even though they remain, we have to look to God. Some people don't like that, so they blame others even after that. No, no, that's a worse insult. That's a worse sin. You own up to it. You bear it honorably, and you trust God for it. Sometimes our sin is just against God, and he chastens us, deals with us, he forgives us, it's done. Other times our sin is against people and with people, and though God will forgive us as we ask forgiveness, people will not always forgive us. Are we clear on this? And there isn't a thing you can do about it. You have to own up to it. You are part of this. Okay? You can't exalt yourself over the other person. You pray for them. Pray for yourself. You walk with God. James 2.13 says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So the encouragement and the principle is that I need to be merciful if I want mercy. But the truth of the matter is sometimes people get so embittered that they can't give it to you. They won't. They don't want to. The millennium will be known for its holiness and righteousness. Listen to Zechariah 14, 20 through 21. It says, in that day, there's that phrase again, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots of the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, even every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day, there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the captain of the armies of heaven, the Lord of hosts. He's going to be reigning supreme. No one's going to get away with anything. We'll be ruling and reigning with Jesus. The Jews will be the priesthood for the world. Jerusalem will be the capital. Jesus is the king, David reigning with him. A whole different world. So the faithful petition of Micah was commendable. Which leads us to the prayerful intercession of Micah now. 14 through 20. Notice 14 and 15. The prayer. Of the prophet was for God's loving care for his people. Micah interceded for the blessing of the remnant. This is the context of the kingdom. Now, in principle, it can apply to us, but it's directly to the remnant here. The metaphor of a shepherd and a sheep was very appropriate for the remnant. Shepherd your people with your staff. The word shepherd means to tend, feed, and to protect the sheep. This was the responsibility of the shepherd. The staff was used to direct and guide and even discipline the sheep. Your staff and your rod, they comfort me, Psalm 23 says. The rod at times will be used against the predators, the wolves, or anybody else. The Lord Jesus is called the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd in John 10:11. Hebrews 13, 20, and 1 Peter 5, 4. He's the one that's being identified here and called attention to. The remnant of Israel is identified the flock of his heritage. Listen to Micah 5, 3. Therefore he shall give them up, Israel, until the time that she who is in labor has given birth, the remnant. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. In Micah 5, 4, in the first part of A, and he shall stand and feed his flock. That's talking about Jesus. In the strength of the Lord Yahweh, in the majesty of his name of the Lord Yahweh his God, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. In this one shall be peace, the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6. Notice they will dwell unthreatened by any nation. And in abundance, fourteen at the end there. In safety and abundance of, uh, in the most fertile grazing land, he says, who dwell solitarily, alone, but they're not in danger, in the woodland, in the midst of Carmel, up north by Haifa, let them feed and bash them in Basham and Gilead, up in the north and towards the Transjordan side, where the other the, the ten tribes settle, some of them, as in the days of. Oh, remember the two and a half tribes of of them settled there for the cattle land, well, good land. So this is the indication, unthreatened, an abundance. Right now they don't have that. Right now they're threatened every day since the day just hours after their independence in 48 they were attacked. They've been under war since then. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig. And no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord Yahweh. The captain of the armies of heaven has spoken. And Micah 4.4 4 said. That's the emblem of abundance. Peace. At that time, the millennial kingdom. The vine, the vineyard. Just kicking it. The land, the people go together, ladies and gentlemen, according to God. Like peanut butter and jam. Twinkie Cupcakes. Beans and tortillas. Okay? The people in the land go together. You can never separate them. There's no such thing in the Bible. Notice Micah indicated the blessing would be like the days of the Exodus. It doesn't say Babylon. The Exodus. Because the Exodus was through miraculous works, Supernatural. That's what's going to happen in the millennial kingdom. They were delivered from oppressive slavery of 430 years. It says, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, he spared them from the angel of death, the death of the firstborn. He brought them forth with great wealth as back payment of all their slavery. They experienced the miracles of God constantly. He says, I will show them wonders. God divided the Red Sea. He judged all the gods of Egypt, first of all, all the miracles there. They divided the Red Sea. He gave them water from the rock. He fed them manna in the wilderness. He prepared every encampment before they got there. Wow. Then notice the prayer of the prophet revealed God's victory over the nations. As he's speaking about this millennial kingdom. 16 and 17. The invading nations will serve Israel. Look at 16. The nations will be humbled as they acknowledge the greatness of Israel. Those nations that God will judge in Matthew 25, the sheep from the goat. Those that are allowed to go in, they go in. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day, Isaiah 2.11 says. That's the millennial kingdom. Isaiah 2, Isaiah 11. He's a contemporary with Micah, remember. Notice the nation will make no objection. None of them. Verse 16 still. But be silent. They shall put their mouth, their hand over their mouth and ears shall be deaf. No one's going to say anything. <laughs> They're serving Israel. The Jew. The nation of Israel becomes a priestly community, for the world, literally. Zechariah 2.11 says, Many nations shall be joined to the Lord Yahweh in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord, Captain of the armies of heaven, has sent me to you. Notice the nations will be abased as animals. Look at 17. They shall lick the dust like the serpent, having exalted themselves above God. They shall crawl from their holes like snakes of the earth. They will understand their insignificance before God. They shall be afraid of the Lord Yahweh our God and shall fear because of you. They will find themselves before a holy God and a holy people. You see, we look at ourselves as powerful kingdoms. Daniel chapter 2, you have the vision of the great image, a head of gold, arms of silver, belly of brass, legs of iron, comprised of iron and clay, the ten toes. This huge image, that's how man sees himself. Then God shows those kingdoms in chapter 7 of Daniel as animals. Interesting. We're only impressed with ourselves. God's not impressed with us. You think God's impressed with this technology he said, Oh, I gotta get me one of those. <laughs> you think he's impressed with the nuclear power? Ooh, man, why didn't I ever think of that? Hmm. Look at eighteen through twenty. The prayer of the prophet, praises God for his forgiveness. We get the incomparable God first. Who is like God? Remember the name of Micah as a pun on words. From this. He's not like the idols of the pagans. That's what he is not like. Exodus 15.11 says. Who is like you O Lord. Yahweh. Among the gods. Who is like you glorious in holiness. Fearful in praises. Doing wonders. No one. Deuteronomy 33.26. There is no one like. The God of Jeshurun. Meaning Jerusalem. Who rides on the heavens. To help you. And in his excellency on the clouds. What a great picture. <laughs> Psalm eighty nine six: For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord Yahweh? Who among the sons of the mighty men be likened to the Lord Yahweh? None. Psalm nine eight. O Lord God of hosts. The captain of the armies of heaven. Who is mighty like you, O Lord Yahweh? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare him to? Isaiah forty eighteen. At this point, he's talking about the pegas that go out in the wood. They cut shut down this wood. They take some wood. They make a fire. They make a stool. They cook their food. And then they got some wood left over. They make a God and they bow down to it. Stupid. What are you going to compare God to? Are you going to put eyes on him and feet because you have eyes and feet? God's Spirit. Those who worship and worship in the Spirit and truth. Isaiah 40 25. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal? Says the Holy One. No one. There's only one unique God. One more 46 5 Isaiah. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? None. Notice he moves to the gracious of God to the remnant. That's the context here. Failure due to sin natures first dealt with. Pardoning iniquity. The word iniquity means the guilt or punishment due to their sins. Rebelliousness comes next due to self-will passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage. There's a difference between sin and trespasses, transgressions. Sin is because we're sinners, we, we, we blow it, we, we fall to our weakness. But transgression is a willful disobedience. You walk across and then that fence, there's a sign that says no trespassing, and you climb over that fence. That's willful. That's different than from just having no boundaries and there's no fence and you happen to kind of just go into the co- property and somebody says, hey, what are you doing with my property? Oh, I didn't know. Okay? That's different. Notice the distinct nature of God regarding the remnant is given. He is always looking for confession and repentance to remove his anger. He does not retain his anger forever. The context is the remnant. He is always wanting to forgive sin because he delights in mercy. The word mercy, hesed, is a covenant word, loving kindness. This is repeated throughout the scriptures, Exodus 34, 6, Deuteronomy four-thirty-one, Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 39, Nehemiah nine-seventeen. And you remember Jonah 4, 2? That's why he ran to Tarshish. I knew you were a loving, gracious God, full of compassion, forgiving to third, fourth, fifth generation. That's why he ran. Jonah didn't want to be like his God. He didn't mind being forgiven, but him forgiving others? Forget it. He wanted to fry the Assyrians. Notice the patience of God towards the remnant. 19, God did not write the remnant off. He will again have compassion on us. The word compassion, again, here means a deep, tender affection, pity coming to someone's help or aid. God will forgive their sins and will subdue our iniquities. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written, Paul says, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Romans 1126 to 27. He's talking about the remnant of Israel. Notice in 19 still the promise of God to the remnant. You will call cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. All our sins into the depths of the sea. What an amazing statement. The word cast has the idea of throwing away or throwing off. The context is the depths, the deepest ocean. Now, the deepest ocean that we know is 36,000 feet or seven miles, the Mariana Trench near the U.S. territory of Guam. That's pretty deep. And then God puts a sign there, no fishing. Now, you have to believe that by faith. You may condemn yourself. Others may condemn you. Satan will condemn you. You've got to know God's word. Look at 20. The faithfulness of God to the patriarchs by covenant, as it mentioned. God will be true to Jacob regarding his word. Even though Jacob was a con artist, a deceiver, you will give truth to Jacob. God is truth. God cannot lie. God will pour out his loving kindness, promised to Abraham, even though he was a pagan at one time. And mercy to Abraham, the patriarchs. God will do all this because he promised it by an oath. And God cannot lie. Which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. Listen to the scripture. Now the Lord has said to Abraham, get out of your country of your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis twelve one through 3. Wow. Promise. It's as good today as it was then. And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had us separated from him, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Genesis 13, 15 through 16, land and people. Never separated. Genesis 17:7 seven, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant everlasting covenant underline that to be God to you and your descendants after you the remnant Israel not the church not the bride Genesis 17:9 listen No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Because she laughed at it. God said, why would you laugh? I didn't know. Oh, no, she did. And you shall call his name Isaac. Laughter. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Not Ishmael. Isaac. Don't let anybody twist the scriptures. Isaac is Israel, the nation. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Simple. In the Old Testament, we have a great illustration of Israel's victory over Amalek as Moses is praying. And he's lifting his hands up. And um, he got tired, so Aaron and Ur held up his arms. As long as his arms were lifted up, Israel prevailed. When they came down, Israel prevailed. Was overcome. What a beautiful picture of our need to be in prayer. Continually dependent on the Lord. Regardless of what goes on in our nation. Doesn't make any difference. God's on the throne. We're his people. He's aware of what's going on. Very important where we are today. Especially this year in this election. You keep your eyes on the Lord. The invitation to the sinner to have his sins forgiven. Is given directly by God. Listen to Isaiah 118. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord Yahweh. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be as wool. What an offer. God's pleading with, with the sinner. The willingness and ability of God to not account our sins to us is repeated throughout Scripture. Not only here, the depths of the ocean, which is an incredible Scripture. Now, the context is remnant. Does it apply to us? Of course it does. In principle, it applies to us. Look at Isaiah 38, 17 says, Indeed it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness, but you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. When you go home, you have your wife or your husband put a piece of tape right here, and then see if you can see it. Deep as ocean. No fishing. Behind your back. Can't see. Psalm 103, 11 and 12. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Transgressions. I'm so glad he didn't say north and south because I would go south for so long, then I would run into my sin. You think it's coincidence? But if you go east, you'll never go west. Yes, you go east. West, west. That's it. God knows. He's saying a consistent principle. If, our, if we have confessed and repented, they're gone. Wow. Wow. That, if, if that was the only message we had, that would be enough. Nothing else would be needed. The result of forgiveness of our sins is very important. Listen, blessed is those who transgress, uh, whose transgressions are forgiven those whose sin are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And in his spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through um, my groaning all the day long. Been there? When you're not confessing, you're not acknowledging, man, let me tell you, you're miserable. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My uh, vitality was turned into the drought of Summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. Confession comes. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord Yahweh. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Wow. Psalm 51, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, verse 7 through 10, he says, Purge, my with, purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me. And I shall be whiter than snow. Why whiter than snow? Because every snowflake is wrapped around a speck of dust. Every snowflake has a dirty heart. Like you. And like me. Wow. Whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. That's the result of confession and abandonment of sin. That... The bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Wow. <laughs> what a great way to finish this book. Horrible time, but what a great hope in God and in the person of Jesus Christ. The prayerful intercession of Micah was admirable. This is the controversy of God with his people over sin. Revealed through these three ways. The painful lamentation of Micah was understandable. The faithful petition of Micah was commendable. And the prayerful intercession of Micah was admirable. Wow. Let's be Micahs. Somebody interceded for us. We wouldn't be here. We'd be gone. We are debtors, ladies and gentlemen. Every day of our lives. To the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your grace and love and your goodness. Deal with our hearts and we thank you for your grace. We pray for all that are present, Lord. And your hand would be upon them. You would speak to them. And Lord, that they would call on your name. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. You alone can make that decision. You can do it right where you sit. Ask him to save you right now. He'll forgive you and forgive your sins. If you want to be born again, this is your prayer. You can repeat it right where you are right now, over the Internet or over the radio. You're out there. This is your prayer to the Lord. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.